1: We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including guests William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Adrian Kerr, vice president of Hodges University, the new exciting uh, uh, program called Workforce and Readiness Initiative. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. And Larry Bell, weekly guest, will be talking. He is the endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. His latest column in Newsmax, Biden has, Biden has blessed us with a much more dangerous world. That's for sure. <clears throat> it is April the 14th and on this day in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was shot in the head at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. The assassin actor John Wilkes Booth shouted, Sic semper tyrannis! Even thus to tyrants, the South is avenged as he jumped onto the stage and fled on horseback. Lincoln died the next morning. Booth remained in, North, uh, in the North during the war despite his Confederate sympathies. Initially plotted to capture President Lincoln and take him to Richmond, the Confederate capital. However, on March twentieth, 1865, the day of the planned kidnapping, the President didn't show up. He failed to appear at the spot where Booth and his six fellow conspirators lay in wait. Two weeks later, Richmond fell to Union forces in April with Confederate armies near collapse across the South. Booth asked a desperate plan to save the Confederacy. Learning that Lincoln was to attend Le- Laura Keene's acclaimed performance of Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater on April the 14th, Booth plotted the simultaneous assassination of Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, Secretary of State William Seward, by murdering the president and two of his possible successors, uh, Booth and his conspirators hoped to throw the U.S. government into total paralyzing chaos. On the next, on the evening of April the 14th, conspirator Lewis T. Powell burst into Secretary of State Stewart's home uh, that's Stewart, I should say—seriously wounding him and three others. While uh, George A. Uh, Astorot, aside to Vice President Johnson, lost his nerve and fled. Meanwhile, just after 10 p.m., Booth entered Lincoln's private theater box unnoticed and shot the president with a single bullet in the back of the head. Although Booth had uh, broken his leg jumping from the Lincoln box, he succeeded in escaping Washington. The president, mortally wounded, was carried to a cheap lodging house opposite Ford's Theater. At about 10.22 in the next morning, or 7.22, he died, the first U.S. president to be assassinated. Booth was a well regarded actor who particularly loved in the South before the Civil War. During the war, he stayed in the North and became increasingly bitter when his audiences weren't as enamored of him as they were in Dixie. Along with friends Samuel Arnold, Michael Loughlin, and John Surratt, Booth conspired to kidnap Lincoln and deliver him to the South. On March the 17th, along with uh, George Azarot, David Harold, and Lewis Powell, the group met in Washington at a bar. to plot the abduction of the president three days later. However, when the president changed his plans, the scheme was scuttled. Shortly afterwards, the South surrendered to the Union, and the conspirators altered their plan. They decided to kill Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William Seward on the same evening. When April the 14th came around, Azeroth backed out of his part to kill Johnson, Upset, Booth went to drink at a saloon near Ford's Theater. At about 10 p.m., he walked into the theater up to the president's box. Lincoln's guard, John Parker, was not there because he had gotten bored with the play and left his post to get to get a beer. Booth easily slipped into and shot the president in the back of the head. The president's friend, uh, Major Rathbone, attempted to grab Booth but was slashed by Booth's knife. Booth injured his uh, leg badly and he was uh, when he jumped into the stage to escape, but he managed to hobble out to, uh, to his horse. Meanwhile, Lewis Powell forced his way into William Seward's home and stabbed the Secretary of State several times before fleeing. Booth rode to Virginia with David Harold and stopped at the home of Samuel Mudd, who placed splints on Booth's leg. They hid in a barn on Richard Garrett's farm as thousands of Union troops combed the area looking for them. The other co- conspirators were captured except for John Surratt, who fled in, to Canada. When the troops finally caught up with Booth and Harold uh, on April the 26th, they gave them an option of surrendering before the barn was burned. Harold decided to surrender, but Booth remained in the barn as it went up in flames. Booth was then shot and killed in the burning barn by Corporal uh, Boston Corbett. On July the 7th, George Azarott, Lewis Powell, David Herod, and uh, John Surratt's mother, Mary, were hanged in Washington. The execution of Mary Surratt is believed to be, uh, by some to have been the, a miscarriage of justice. Although there was proof of Surratt's involvement in the original abduction conspiracy, it's clear that her deeds were minor compared to those of the others who were executed. Her son John was eventually tracked down in Egypt and brought back to trial, where he managed, with the help of clever lawyers, to win an acquittal. Uh, President uh, Abraham Lincoln shot on this day at Ford's Theatre. Such a sad event in the United in our history. <clears throat> well, we had uh, reasonable weather here on the Paradise Coast, but the U.S. National Weather Service has stated that more than 26 inches of rain fell in Fort Lauderdale on yesterday, with most falling in a span of only a couple of hours. Can you imagine that? It's unbelievable. It actually, shut down uh, Fort Lauderdale Airport. I don't know if it's open yet, but uh, uh, just amazing how regional, how localized this uh, this weather, these weather events can be here in Florida. The U.S. Postal Service uh, proposed raising the price of first-class mail stamps from 63 to 66 cents this week, the second price hike so far this year. Stamp prices have nearly doubled over the past two decades, increasing from 37 cents. In uh, 2002. Do you remember the three cent stamp? I think I do. UPS uh, most recently upped prices from 60 cents to 63 cents in January. Well, uh, U.S. inflation rose 5% year over year in March, the smallest 12 month increase in nearly two years. The figure is lower than the 6% rate in February and marks the ninth consecutive year-over-year decline in the Consumer Price Index, a measure of inflation that tracks the change in prices of a basket of goods and services. And while inflation remains above the Federal Reserve target of 2%, analysts say the report shows continued signs of decelerating. The Fed has raised interest rates nine times since 2022 to slow down the economy and is due to consider what might be the last of its rate hikes in May. The market responded very positively to that yesterday, although futures are down right now. Uh, Florida Republicans have added to their already comfortable lead over state state Democrats considerably since the 2022 election, according to data. Uh, As of November the 30th, Republicans lead Democrats by 356,000 voters. Just a couple of months later, Republicans now lead by 454,000 voters, expanding the margin by nearly 100,000. The lead expansion is primarily due to Democrats suffering hemorrhaging losses. While both parties did lose voters, minor parties and no party affiliations uh, uh, grew by collectively uh, several tens of thousands. A large portion of the registered loss can uh, also occur due to Department of State clearing out uh, voter rolls, which we've certainly done and needed to be done. <clears throat> well, of course, the big story is uh, Massachusetts Air National Guard gun Guardsman Jack Teixeira was arrested at his mother's house on Thursday after being implicated in a closure of dozens of sensitive U.S. documents uh, to an online community devoted to video games and guns, the biggest national security breach in at least 10 years. Law enforcement officers swarmed the home in. Uh, Massachusetts, about 20 miles from Providence. Hours after multiple uh, reports sketched out to key role in a Discord channel called Thug Chaker Central, where the files were propped up earlier, popped up earlier this year. Uh, News helicopter footage showed Tashira clad in red basketball shorts and a gray T-shirt, surrendering to cameo-clad FBI agents. He was uh, scheduled to make an initial appearance in the Boston Federal Court Friday, where Attorney General Merrick Garland said the airman would face charges connected to alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of uh, classified national defense information. Air Force records show that listed Tashir's occupation as a cyber transport systems journeyman responsible for upkeeping of hardware for military communications networks and including cabling and hubs. While an anonymous defense official told the Associated Press Tashir would have a higher level of security clearance in the role due to his responsibility for ensuring network protection, questions are sure to be asked about how such a young service member, not even an intelligence analyst, could have access to such sensitive information. Tashira, who joined the military in September 2019 and whose promotion to airman first class was announced this past July, he's believed to be a major figure in the Thugshaker Central Discord channel, which the Washington Post reported was populated by about two dozen hardcore fans of the YouTube content creator known as Oxide. After their initial appearance on Thug Shaker Central, the classified pages gained wider circulation after they were posted on a second Discord channel uh, called Wow Mayo. And then they spread even quicker when the member of the channels posted some of the documents to be a bigger channel called Minecraft Earth Map on March the 2nd. Uh, Sensitive uh, information related to the war in Ukraine, including potential vulnerabilities in the country's air defense capabilities and details of Kiev's military positions, as well as events in Israel and South Korea were included in the leaks, triggering international concern. U.S. officials were alerted last week when some of the uh, Ukraine-related documents surfaced on Russian telegram channels. One member of the channel insisted that the New York Times that the leaker wasn't a whistleblower and that he hadn't meant for the sensitive materials to end up anywhere other than in the group chat group. Uh, the guy was a Christian anti-war, just wanted to inform some of his friends about what's going on, one member told the paper. We have to get some people in our groups who are in Ukraine. We like fighting games. We are we like war games, uh, was the quote. But another member said the... Uh, He's a smart person. He knew what he was doing, and he posted these documents, of course. They weren't accidental leaks of any kind. So my estimation of what's going on here seems to me we've got this 21-year-old kid, barely able uh, to buy a drink in a bar, and uh, he was given a position of authority, and uh, with sensitive, very sensitive information, he decided to share it with some friends, and it got out of hand. It was shared to probably be out uh, without his knowledge to other sites that led to the discovery of this information and internationally it's been ex- uh, exposed to uh, the international community so uh, he's probably probably wishing he hadn't done it right now he faces 10 years in jail and uh, it's just it's i i look at this as a a, a breach of, uh, of responsibility on the part of the military to allow him to have access to these types of information without further security clearance. Uh, he's just a kid and uh, he made a stupid mistake, really stupid mistake, and it could cost him 10 years of his life. Uh, President Biden said he's not concerned about the leak, I'm concerned it happened, but it's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of of great consequence. Well, of course, that's dead wrong. There was uh, information. That was uh, uh, upset a lot of the international community. Again, further evidence that the Biden doesn't have control of what's going on. And uh, it's just a very sad commentary uh, that the United States is losing face and losing influence in the international community. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service... Fabulous food and a rockin' good time, Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy their great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch, no no reservations are needed check out the website at lulubee's.com and stop by Lulubee's diner open from 8 a.m until 2 p.m seven days a week Lulubees diner in the green tree shopping center at the corner of immokalee and airport pulling roads stop by Lulubee's diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin good time Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's
0: 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, you should know that most health insurance plans here in the United States don't cover international travel. And you want to be able to travel with confidence and know that you're covered if you get sick or hurt abroad. And uh, you can find out more. Get insurance for very little money by visiting InternationalHealthPlans.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Adrian Kerr. He's the vice president at Hodges University. We'll be talking about the Workforce Readiness Initiative. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Really a pleasure. So tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
3: You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse.
1: Uh, uh, it is PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. So now the New York uh, District Attorney is suing the House Oversight Committee to prevent <laughs> oversight of what's going on. What, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, indeed. in uh, Without irony, uh, Manhattan District Attorney Bragg calls uh, these investigative efforts by Representative Jim Jordan, who chairs the House Committee on Over- Oversight and Government Reform, um, he calls uh, Jordan's efforts an unprecedented campaign of harassment and intimidation, um, which is certainly the pot calling the kettle black, you know, given the politicized nature of his prosecution of President Trump. Um, but, yeah, in particular, uh Representative Jordan, or I guess uh, Chairman Jordan, had subpoenaed, uh, wanted to interview uh, uh, Mark <clears throat> Pomerantz, uh, a gentleman who used to work at Bragg's office and who actually resigned from Bragg's office uh, in a bit in a of fury about a year ago mm. after Bragg had initially declined to bring the very charges that he's bringing now. Um, so Jordan wanted to, I guess, get the skinny directly from Mr. Pomerantz, and uh, Bragg, uh, uh filed suit, I guess it was two days ago, to quash the subpoena, which is basically legalese to shut down the investigation. But uh, it was, uh, I guess the most remarkable aspect here is just the lack of self-awareness by District Attorney Bragg when he's calling this effort uh, by Representative Jordan, you know, a campaign of harassment and and intimidation. Um, I think those modifiers describe quite well this unique political prosecution of you know, former President Trump, that, as we've spoken a number of times before, um, wouldn't be carried out against any other individual in this country.
1: Yeah, and Brad's case was dismissed, wasn't it?
3: Oh, Brad's case. uh, Now, this, that is a, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The judge declined to... uh, to quash the subpoena. However, she did set the hearing, so it wasn't dismissed, but his initial request was denied, and there will be subsequent
1: deliberation. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Now, uh, my hope is that uh, Jordan will not only uh, discuss what's happening with the Trump situation, but also the dismissal and the reduction of uh, uh, sentencing and so forth uh, with these uh, soros district attorneys i hope that would be the subject of discussion and perhaps discuss uh, limited immunity for these uh district attorneys who are so cavalier with the law this to be sure i would imagine
3: that would be a separate line of inquiry Um, and whereas criminal law is a bit outside my wheelhouse i will note this that uh, bragg does have a reputation a well-earned reputation through deed of, in essence, turning felonies into misdemeanors. And I'm not commenting on the wisdom of that policy, but I I will note that it juxtaposes starkly with his efforts to turn a misdemeanor into a felony with respect to former President Mr. Trump.
1: If I'm not mistaken, uh, President Trump is back in New York, uh, probably as we speak. Uh, Letitia James has a position now where she's suing Trump for... Uh, Two hundred and fifty million dollars, I think it is. <laughs> Can you comment on that case? It's from one cockamamie set of charges to another.
3: Um, this one is remarkable. Uh, as much as I impugned and poo-pooed Bragg's the, the the legal theory, the ludicrous legal theory behind his criminal prosecution, um, this one being brought by New York Attorney General Leticia James is even sillier. Um, so this is a civil claim or, or a civil suit. And uh, what she's alleging here is that Trump somehow inflated the value of his real estate holdings in order to secure better terms from lenders and insurers. So her reasoning here, evidently, if I understand correctly, and she's been provided scant details, um, but that the insurers and banks didn't do their due diligence when they did business with Trump. And I should note here that all these transactions engendered profits for the insurers and the banks. and because they didn't do their due diligence, allegedly, Letitia James has to sue on their behalf. Um, it, it again, we're, we're talking about a very singular, unique charge. You know, very, very much akin to what is going on in uh, District Attorney Bragg's office. So, it is, uh, um, it's remarkable. I mean, you know, regardless of how you feel, how one feels about Trump, and you know, by no means do I think he's perfect. Um. These. this is ludicrous. I mean, this is self-evidently ludicrous. I mean, yeah. these are, uh, pardon the pun, but, but very trumped-up
1: charges. Unbelievable. Well, we'll see how this all ends up. But I, quite frankly, I will bet you that they'll find out that par- the value of these uh, properties weren't inflated. In fact, maybe were presented at a very... Uh, I would speculate it at a uh, very modest price. So uh, he, I think everything that we've seen so far is he doesn't cheat in business. That's my belief. In any event, uh, uh, Biden rolls out a big regulatory modernization push. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: <laughs> sure. So uh, indeed, a modernizing regulatory review. So this is a big proposal that the White House kicked off mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Um, and the long and short of it is that all the, or what the Biden administration intends to do is to basically view and vet all regulations through the prism of quote unquote equity, and it is uh, highly uncertain what they're getting at. They don't explain what they mean. Um, mm. We can infer that I guess uh, climate change will, will mm. be a large focus with all these things, um, but otherwise, it's sort of a you know an amorphous, mushy, progressive goal that they've overlaid onto. Um, the already burdensome regulatory state. So it was uh, co- sort of a double negative, if you will.
1: Absolutely. William Yateman, again, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. I hope you'll check out pacificlegal.org. Pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, and thank you. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Adrian Kerr. He is a vice president at Hodges University, a new program. Workforce Readiness Initiative. We're going to do that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on The Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: welcome back to the bob harton show and now here's your host bob harton
1: thanks so much for joining us here on the show we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility limited government and the rule of law Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, and Dowd professor at the University of Houston, Space Architecture. Right now we have with us Adrian Kerr. He is the vice president of Hodges University. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Uh, good morning, Bob. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to talking to you about our workforce programs.
1: Thank you, Adrian. Before we talk about that, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Hodges University.
2: Yes. Um, Hodges University... Um, is based in Fort Myers, and uh, part of it is a classical two-year and four-year university where people come to do associate's degrees and also bachelor's degrees. And that's the conventional credit side of the university, which most people are familiar with. Um, my side of the business is to do with non-credit you know, classes, and maybe I can just give you a uh, give an introduction as to um, how this came about. You're probably aware that um, Florida um, has an ambition to grow both from a population point of view, but also from an economy point of view. Currently, Florida is uh, 15th in the world in terms of the size of its economy. And the ambition from Tallahassee is that by 2030, Florida now grows to being the 10th largest economy in the world. Wow. To do that, of course, you need um, people to come into the state and you need businesses to expand. And what we have decided to do is focus on what's known as a skills gap, where um, employers are saying to us that um, they need to enhance the skills of their employees help them through the promotion scale and be able to uh, recruit new employees. And that's, that's our goal.
1: Uh, worthwhile goal indeed because I have heard people talk about uh, the lack of skills of some employees, that they have to uh, have more skills in order to be employable. So uh, you've launched the Workforce Readiness Program. Maybe you can tell us about it.
2: Yes. um, It started off with about 18 months ago. We approached the community. uh, We interviewed both large and small corporations, mom and pop organizations, and we listened carefully to what their concerns were, were to, with regard to growing their particular businesses. And they clearly would like to have educated employees who follow a classical university degree, like Laureate, two or four years. Um, but we heard more and more from these companies and very strongly um, that they do not wish to follow that pursue, uh, pursue that particular um option at the moment. They would much rather go for short, targeted skill enhancement programs. And we listened to these comments and we started to build a whole suite of programs where we could help individuals very quickly and inexpensively uh, improve their skills. And from the employer's point of view, their skills gap would decline and that would allow them to expand.
1: Interesting. So can you give us a couple of examples of the types of programs you're, you're providing?
2: Yes. Um, the, as I mentioned, the idea behind Workforce Readiness is to help close the skills gaps that organizations across every industry want their employees to have. Um, we looked at three particular areas, um, and that is healthcare, corporate or business training, and specifically online training. If I could just mention that one first. Um, during the COVID period, uh, we're all aware that um, people have moved towards a a remote learning option or a hybrid option as well as face-to-face classes. And that stayed with us. Uh, Many universities and colleges in the United States um, now have approaching 50% of their classes or more um, provided remotely. So we chose to have a suite of classes. In fact, we have uh, hundreds of classes now which are online. They're fast-paced, they're short, they're relatively inexpensive, and they can be done um, at at your home so you can carry on with your current employment but you can also enhance your skills online and this this covers a huge range of uh, programs from business to health uh, to um, skills that help you in advance in, in your career
1: uh, so Adrian uh, the programs have they been running before or are, are they just starting and what what they what does this all begin
2: um Many um, educators have been aware of this move towards short, uh, fast-paced, inexpensive classes. And so um, Hodges started on this road um, about 18 months ago to a year ago. Um, but we've accelerated the program in the last four months. It takes a little while, as you can imagine, Bob, to put these high-quality programs together. Sure, We have to identify uh, the right material, the right of instruction Um, and then we've actually literally today we've launched this under the heading workforce readiness so it's been a while in coming but we've accelerated the programs and now we have a a great array of options for people and the way to develop this further is for individuals to go into our our new newly revamped website Um, which is hodges.edu look for workforce readiness and you will see literally hundreds and hundreds of courses grouped into families to give you a few examples, um, we have something like leadership. Uh, we have a lead- leadership academy where there are 10 different components and businesses or individuals can choose the components they particularly like. Um, the most popular in-demand course that we found in southwest Florida is from businesses who um, see that they want to promote an individual from making widgets to being a supervisor of people who make widgets. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that is not an easily transferable skill. Often it's not a natural skill, but it can be taught. And so supervisory skills is one of our most popular classes. Another one, which is considered to be a soft skill, is uh, emotional intelligence, which is growing in importance and understanding in that the way in which you actually conduct yourself in a business environment depends on how you consider your emotional views on certain situations that leads us into conflict management team building and leadership
1: sounds like a great array of programs i mean if uh, if you're going to go to college uh, certainly everybody would like to have a full education but here's a circumstance where somebody perhaps is already on the job they're looking for the next promotion and uh, now they have an array of courses through hodges university through the workforce readiness program to uh, To choose how they like to advance, and and apparently, uh, my guess is these courses all been developed because of the work of the feedback that you've gotten from employers. I mean, from from my standpoint, I would guess you still you would have an opportunity to even develop more courses as time goes on.
2: That's exactly right, Bob. Uh, We've only just uh, started in this program, and we have many more concepts which we're developing. Um, To give an example, um, we have a specialization in water um, treatment classes so to be a water plant operator Mm -hmm. we have to um, have a certain level of expertise and uh, that is an approved class within the state of Florida Um, and we have instructors and course materials which are approved and we've been offering these classes more and more so people can take the uh, certification and then they can get a job almost immediately afterwards. Some of our um, Candidates in these classes are actually offered jobs before they finish the course, which is uh, very rewarding.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. Adrian Kerr again, Vice President of Hodges University. I know we've got listeners right now who are interested in enrolling and finding out more. Where can they go and what can they do?
2: Yes, the easiest way to access these courses, of course, is to go online, to go to hodges.edu and then select the uh, tab on the left-hand side, which is called Workforce Readiness.
1: Again, Adrian, I just genuinely appreciate your feedback. Uh, Hodges.edu is the website. Workforce readiness is tab to pull down and start your investigation about what could help you best in advancing your career. Uh, Adrian, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Uh, It's a pleasure, Bob. Talk to you again.
1: I hope so as well. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And uh, Neil Simon's Barefoot of the Park is running now through the 16th, just a few days, and there's a couple of tickets left. You want to take advantage of it, go to Golf Shore Playhouse org golfshoreplayhouse.org coming up we're going to visit with professor larry bell right now we have with us michael cannon he is director of health policy studies at the cato institute michael thank you so much for joining us here on the show great to be here bob thank you michael tell us about the cato institute so the cato institute we're a think tank in washington dc
4: and uh we don't lobby congress or the president um what we do is we uh uh analyze and comment on the things the government is doing always with an eye toward expanding individual liberty and reducing the number of decisions that the government makes for you in your life. Because our our fundamental bedrock principle is that every uh, human life has equal dignity and uh, everyone has a right to live their lives however they want, as long as they respect the equal rights of others. And as we've discussed before, You'd think that would be an intuitive thing, and everyone could agree with that. Yeah, But in Washington, D.C., that is a very controversial topic. <laughs> yes,
1: it certainly is. Well, especially wanting to nose in on everybody else's business, it's just unbelievable. And I'm talking about Congress and the, and the President of the United States and well, all branches of government. So uh, we have uh, – kind of, the United States is kind of like Swiss cheese. you got some well, – Greatly populated areas. You've got some places that don't have too many people, and getting a unified medical coverage across the country is a difficult thing. I would imagine that uh, the Cato Institute is looking at that.
4: Uh, we look at it all the time, and with the uh, with the caveat in mind that you know there's a difference between uh, health insurance coverage and medical care. Yeah, uh, it's important to get the med- to make medical care universal universal insurance coverage maybe not because at some point the costs outweigh the benefits yeah but one of the ways that uh, that the US health sector falls short in making health care more universal is that there aren't enough primary care clinicians out there yeah. to meet the the the, the need uh, and the demand for primary care services and there are a lot of parts of Florida that, that, that suffer from this problem not the the densely populated parts of Florida where it seems like doctors grow on trees, although there's maybe too many specialists in Florida, but there are parts up in in the north of the state, some by the Georgia border, some out by the Panhandle, where uh, uh, people who've looked at this have said that there is a shortage of primary care clinicians, not just physicians, but also nurse practitioners and others uh, who could be providing basic primary care services, and and it's just really hard to, to find them. Fortunately. There are some states that have come up with uh, a number of solutions, uh, or not maybe not solutions, but uh, ways to, to minimize this problem. And one of my colleagues at the Cato Institute uh, is have a, has a paper that's coming out soon that discusses one of them, which is to let physicians provide primary care, uh, physicians who have not matched with what we call residency programs, and therefore... Uh, the the government blocks them from getting a license and practicing medicine right now
1: uh, so interesting so uh, if I'm not mistaken uh, it's is it true that uh, we are having fewer and fewer people uh, complete uh, medical degrees and uh, going on to serve the public because of our number of pressures
4: so uh, the 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 number of clinicians and I don't just mean physicians but uh, all sorts of health professionals mm-hmm. uh is not enough to meet the the needs that's out there. Yeah, and fortunately, some states are trying to do some things in order to to, to bridge that gap. Some states are allowing nurse practitioners to practice independently. I think that uh, uh, Florida recently passed a law along those lines, which which is really a matter of letting people choose their providers.
1: Yeah. As long as there's the full disclosure, that, as, as long as there's full disclosure on the amount of preparation you have for the role, it uh, seems to me the, uh, the, uh, the main thing is that the patient or has a chance to make an informed decision.
4: Right. And we're not talking about nurse practitioners playing doctor. We're talking about nurse practitioners, uh, providing services with, that are within the scope of their training. Right. And then, and then w- when they have a patient that, uh, who, who needs services or needs a sophisticated diagnosis that lies beyond their training, they, they refer that patient to a physician who, who can provide that service. So, uh, so,
1: so these doctors that have completed medical school, but haven't completed their residencies, are they prepared for the work?
4: So uh, some would say yes, others would say no, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, at what the States, there are about uh, seven states, seven or eight States that have allowed those, uh, those medical school graduates uh, to basically become apprentice physicians, or some people call them assistant physicians, mm-hmm. uh, and provide primary care under a uh, restricted license, uh, but where otherwise they would not be able to to uh, help anyone at all. Every year you get about 7% of uh, medical school graduates and maybe 10% of uh, osteopathic school graduates who do not place in what we call a residency program. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is where you get on-the-job training. Uh, they usually last uh, a number of years, and states require uh, MDs and DOs to get uh, to, to com- uh, complete a, at least one year of a residency program before they can get a full unrestricted license to practice medicine. And if you don't place in a residency program, then you're out of luck. All those years of med school and all that debt you've accumulated, uh, not only can you can you not uh, earn money as a as a physician you can't help people either and that it that is a, a huge waste of resources so what seven states have done louisiana arkansas missouri uh kansas uh, arizona utah and idaho is uh with varying restrictions they have said look if you uh are one of these med school graduates you can sign up with a a practice under the supervision of a physician uh, will give you a restricted license to do so and you know you can renew it this many times and uh for this many years and uh this allows them to provide primary care uh -hmm. to people and in areas where otherwise there wouldn't uh, there would not be enough primary care providers and so this is something that my colleague dr jeff singer who's who's a general surgeon in arizona uh, had recommended that all states do. Uh, a... All states should remove this ba- the barriers that they put in the way to these medical school graduates getting that sort of on-the-job training and helping people by providing
1: them primary care. Well, I'm about to show my cynical self here, but uh, would it be true that uh, doctors who are in residence, who are preparing for their own careers, pretty much work at uh, in hospitals uh, for little or nothing and uh, provide services and, and support that really help the bottom line for... Uh, these organizations
4: well certainly uh, they don't get paid commensurate with their skills uh Uh, this is still part of them paying their dues and getting uh uh, to the point where they can get that unrestricted license and begin commanding physician salaries
1: yeah
4: and so uh yeah they and and they generally work for large institutions you want to go someplace uh, a lot of them go into a residency so they can specialize in a particular area of medicine and to get that kind of training to become a specialist, it helps if you're in a densely populated area and you've got economies of scale and, and a number of specialists uh, and, and it helps if you sign up with an institution who's got a number of those specialists. And that tends to be those, those larger uh, institutions in larger urban areas. And, and so you can sort of see how the, um, the the residency program uh, tilts toward uh, uh, specialties and away from, Primary care, although there are uh, special, there's a specialty, especially uh, programs in family medicine. Uh, for primary care, you usually don't need the as much training as as one does to uh, practice a specialty. And, yeah, and That's what these reforms are about: is removing the unnecessary barriers to doctors helping people in that way.
1: Well, this seems like something to throw on the list of legislation that should be passed here in the state of Florida. I'm all for what you're recommending here. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, again, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Michael, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Anytime. Take care, Bob. You too, as well. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, uh, a endowed professor in the University of Houston. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
0: Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They prepare duly elected officials to win and having winning strategies in the legislature. You can visit and find out more. The website is thefga.com. Org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. The author of about a dozen books. They're all terrific. His latest, uh, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well,
5: it's always fun to be on. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Professor. So uh, you write a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point, And your latest... I think it's terrific. Great summary. Biden has blessed us with a much more dangerous world. Maybe you can tell us about it.
5: Yeah, it's, a, it's of course, a big story, a long story. But uh, as we look at really key areas of the world, so many of them where we see U.S. faltering and losing stature and security, and we see China advancing, and we see new coalitions forming that are, Rather ominous, most particularly between uh, you know Russia and uh, China, but uh, also bringing in Iran and and then the um, some of our allies, former allies, uh, Saudis, for example, seem to be uh, closing up. Even Mark you know, and France and so France closing up with with China and uh, and just on and on and on. Central America the same, and, and uh seems like China's building a kind of a coalition of support for um, his policies on taking over Taiwan, and, um, and uh, there's so many strategic issues at hand. Of course, Taiwan is a world's leading producer of the computer chips, advanced computer chips, that will have to power all those new electric vehicles that Biden wants to put on the grid, and China controls the 80% of the other rare earth materials other than Congo with cobalt, and China's investing in Congo and infrastructure, and it's, we're just getting, getting whops everywhere. Um, it's amazing how much damage an administration can do in such a short time.
1: It is so amazing, Professor, and uh, to me, we're just seeing one our, our influence around the world, which was so vast and so important to uh, to the, the international community, it's just dissipating right now. That I think it begins with a lack of uh, respect for our leader. Uh, he, he just doesn't garner the respect that he needs. I mean, this latest episode with the uh, documents uh, with this 21-year-old kid posted online, and it's uh, revealing all these all these secrets that are offending so many of our. Uh, so many of our uh, allies it's just amazing
5: well some of these things like for example the uh the indication that that uh, the you know, the war in ukraine is not going the way we is often advertised be going is not. that right. uh you know is going well for uh, for ukraine uh against a union or against former Soviet Union in Russia. And uh, and that, you know, the uh, all the money we're pouring into Ukraine, we don't really know where it's going, is another issue. I don't know that the the budget stuff was so much in those leaked information, but, you know, it raises a, a sphere of questions about, you know, when Russia... Uh, a, assembled its troops and armaments at the border of Ukraine and Biden dithered. We can't help but wonder whether Trump would have hesitated. And then we think also of uh, Trump was chastising NATO for not paying their share of the military budgets where we're carrying a lot of the heavy lifting on NATO. The unfairness of that and remember how Merkel and others were Kind of chortling about that, you know that he would bring this up uh, with, you know, in these uh, international meetings, and and Trump was right in terms of uh, NATO really looking weak, and and uh, they, after all, have the biggest interest and biggest self-interest in uh, protecting uh, their NATO alliance. Uh, So it's just so many things that. We can't really say for sure what the world would be like if Trump's administration had continued but 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 it's hard to avoid the reality that uh, China is making inroads in everything including including the you know the the you know countries like uh, Brazil and Saudi Arabia is talking also about um, uh, accepting the yuan as their currency and yeah. We worry about displacing the dollar on the in the, the national, you know, global reserve currency, and it's just there's just affronts on every level, everywhere, and it's it's it's, it's uh, these are national security issues and they're economic security issues, and I guess those are the same thing.
1: Pretty much, Professor, and I think it all began with Afghanistan and just shortly after the president got in office. And now he has, uh, I've forgotten, they don't call it a review, but they called it something where they announced the results of uh, taking a look at the, uh, what happened in Afghanistan. And they plain out justified it and further blamed it on Trump for, for whatever shortcomings that occurred.
5: I think the public finally, you know, when you start with the public and realize that the public is a pretty mixed bag of, of stuff, and uh, we see that with the you know the current indictments in Manhattan, and you know the the alleged of, uh, affair of Trump with this this former with a stripper, and you compare that with all the charges against Biden's you know, sexual harassment charges, one one very very serious one, and then and Clinton was uh, a champion demoralizer, and, and JFK. Okay, CFK uh, Senate kind of set the, you know, set the model. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the notion, you know, the this animal farm hypocrisy of, of, you know, the two-tier justice system, I think people, I can't help what people think of people are going to finally realize the hypocrisy of these things and all of the investigations and indictments and so on. And, you know, it's given... Trump a boost so far in the polls and fundraising, but of course, the you know the 2024 election is what, what we really need to think about, but I've got an article coming out today that uh,
1: even a ham sandwich
5: can beat Trump in 2024.
1: Wow. You know, uh, the,
5: the, the thing I, said Trump, I said Trump, I meant Biden. Biden, yeah.
1: Exactly. Well, the thing that concerns me right now is the window is closing. For, you know, for example, China has to be wondering uh, when should they strike Taiwan? Well, should it, should they wait until the election is over? Well, probably Biden won't be in office. They have a, we have a weak leader right now. I would imagine they're considering probably sooner is later.
5: Well, yeah, they're 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 certainly they're certainly doing everything they can to advertise that intent and whether it's a bluff or not. You know they 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 publish their war plan with all the attack strikes on you know on on Taiwan and they. They've been virtually threatening, threatening the U.S. with uh, reprisals if we we get involved, and now with with Russia joining hands and and playing kissy face, uh, that's that combines their nuclear capabilities. Yeah, and and uh, it's 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 really a terrifying situation. But 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 there's a sense that we don't have any leadership. You know that there's. Right. You know, we're, we're just, we have this leadership vacuum. It, man, it's even worse than that. It's almost, uh, you know, it's almost anti-leadership. It's, it's a...
1: Absolutely.
5: That, ...that doesn't appear to have our interests in mind, or or they're, they're so out and they're so in the clouds that they're just absolutely clueless. I think of Anthony Blinken, whose previous job was being Biden's CEO at the Penn Center that took all that Chinese money, you know, and... Oh. And so it's, it's scary.
1: It is indeed. Professor uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. I hope you get a copy. Also visit newsmax.com. Larry uh, Bell's column is on point. You'll find uh, many columns there and all of interest. Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Bob, thanks for the privilege. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. Larry Reed, uh, President of of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and uh, author, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, I hope you tell your friends and uh, we will expand the listening audience and uh, certainly supports our advertisers. We couldn't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>